Good morning. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for coming to Life Bridge today. Thanks for being with us. If you are new or visiting or visiting-ish, we want to say welcome. Thanks for being here with us this morning. There are cards in the seat backs in front of you that you can use. You can fill those out and put them in the boxes. Uh, if you're looking to connect, that's a good way to indicate that to us. You can also talk to anybody you see up on stage, really. You can walk right up to and talk to, and uh, we'd be happy to chat with you and just kind of get to know you as well. I want to tell you about My Life Bridge. My Life Bridge is a great way to stay up to date with what's going on with church, our upcoming events, our our podcast is is there, so our we have a daily audio devotional and a written format of it as well. Sermons, if you miss a sermon, you can listen to it there through our podcast as well. Online giving and sending up for text and email updates. You can do all that by, by going to mylifebridge.church, so check that out. Thank you for your giving to support our mission. If you call this your home church, we ask that you give, and you can do that online. Um, through our website, lifebridge.church, through Venmo, or with giving boxes at both ends of the hallway. One of the big things that our giving supports is our ministry partners, and we're going to talk about one of our ministry partners in just a moment here. Before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about Serve Sunday. Serve Sunday is coming up two weeks from today. So Serve Sunday is really simple. It's a Sunday morning where instead of having a church service like this, we are going to be serving in our community. We are helping meet some needs of, of individuals from inside our church body. We're also helping meet some needs in the community. So we want you to be a part. We've got a number of projects, and we need a lot of volunteers. We purposely signed up for projects and committed to projects that would need a lot of volunteers so that we would, like, basically put pressure on ourselves to recruit you guys to come help us. That means we really, really need you to sign up. We need the whole church to be involved. We need you to go to lifefridge.church forward slash serve and sign up to be a part of Serve Sunday on October 10th. It's two weeks away, which means, which means we're going to start coordinating and getting people into their detailed, you know, slots, etc., and reaching out to people and letting you know what's going on, coordinating with you. So please do uh, go to church forward slash serve. Um, there's also cards on the counters in the lobby that you can grab and take with you if you need that as well. But get signed up. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to start texting people. And so it's kind of up to you how you want, you know, how you want it to work. Um, but I, get, I can get real badgery over text as well. So that works fine too. But, uh, but that's two weeks from today, and we hope that you'll be a part of it. Okay, our ministry partner update today is on the Halu House. The Halu House is, um, is run by a couple by the name of Darren and Lindsay Nicholson. And um, Lindsay's from this area initially, and uh, she moved to South Africa where she met Darren. They've gotten married, and they run a home there for, um, for children. And I'm going to let them tell you about that just a little bit. But it's a, it's a great, great program, and they're a great couple that our church has been invested in for a couple of years now. One of the big things we did is at the end of last year, we helped, we helped them purchase property, basically purchase a farm so they could own land, start farming, and uh, as, as a way to more sustainably do their work. They were paying rent for a house, and now they have their own place. And we've committed, we've committed to, uh, to sending them $100,000 over three years. That's a pretty significant amount of money for a church of our size. Um, we're going to do another big push um, for that at the end of this year. But for today, um, uh, Kinsey, who's a part of our stewardship team, uh, recorded a quick video with them over Zoom, and we're just going to play that with you guys to get a little bit of a catch-up and up to speed on what the Hulu House has been up to. So why don't we go ahead and roll that video. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you guys. You guys are. All right, thanks. Okay. Um, hi, everybody. I am here with Darren and Lindsay, and they are are working with the Flu House over in South Africa. Um, we have been partnering with them for a couple of years and they're just gonna give us a quick update on what they're working on right now. 
Take it away, guys. Well, we've been at the farm now for the past eight months, and things have been going really, really well. Um, we've, we've added lots of new animals to our lives, so we have 17 chickens and about 12 goats and three sheep, two pigs. Um, <clears throat> so we've been quite busy um, just kind of growing our farm, but also allowing the kids to learn a lot about nature and just kind of experiment and, and find find new ways of, of living and kind of what life is supposed to be like. We have prayed about this farm for three years and to like accept the fact that it was ours and that God had had put this idea in our minds and you know he fulfilled it and it was just so crazy to like accept that and I think the kids took a really long time understanding that like the space is theirs and they're worthy of it um but yeah we we've made it our own we've we've started adding like these little touches that have made it truly what the Hulu house stands for how are you guys partnering with the community right now when you have a plan for your life and the way that you would like it to be, God's plan is always better. You know, from the moment we moved into the farm, we could have never had anticipated that God would use not only just us, but also the place where we are as a focal point to do his work, where we could become and show all the kids how to be tools of God. And he has used us in the most amazing ways where we we have been connecting and building relationships with so many people that is already doing such great work and just partnering with them and just serving one common goal just to make a difference in people's lives and it's just been so amazing to see how all of these things have been you know, unraveling and, and I'm just looking forward to seeing what the future is going to be like. It's exciting. That's so exciting. <laughs> Do you feel like the farm has given you guys a little bit more like recognition within the community as well, like having that place? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's always funny, like when we talk about, yeah, this is what we do, you know, we're, we're on our way to be self-sustainable and, you know, we're giving the, the kids an opportunity to to live in nature and, and find that outlet. And then everyone's like, yeah, that's great. And then when they come and see what, what we've done and what our place is like, it changes it completely. Um, but we've actually, we've actually been reached out to a lot about creating this, this farm as a space for the community. So like, I had somebody just last week ask if we would do like retreats for staff, for other organizations, or like community workshops for women um and and host like worship nights for local churches so yeah our our oh. farm is becoming more of like a community-based place yeah. and that's what we want like there is a group of farmers that are from one of the the townships in the area and you know they one give us advice because we didn't know how to be <laughs> farmers um but also like we've taught them a lot about you know the potential that that they could have and how we could help them too yeah awesome. i think also you know it's just given so many people you know hope especially considering where i come from you know i'm from the same township and we see and work with uh with all these different projects in the community all the time and when they come and visit the farm and they see what it is that we are doing and they see you know where we're going 
it's like they just get so inspired and they're like oh my gosh like we could also be doing this like and and it's amazing for them to see that we are seeking relationships with them and especially when they come in here and they see oh but you guys are growing this you're growing that um so why do you need us we need you because we can only make a big difference together um, what are you guys' biggest needs right now? As you guys are getting established and looking for the next thing, like what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, so our biggest need right now is a van. Um, we've been fundraising um, for quite a while for a van um, because we need, we need a larger vehicle to kind of create a larger impact in the communities. We live in such a rural place and there's really no opportunities to just walk everywhere. Um, and if we, we would love to kind of spread out a little bit more and work with more kids in the community and invite them for surfing and worship nights and our education program that we run after school. But unfortunately, we don't have a big enough van to transport everybody here. So that's our biggest need at the moment. You guys are so inspirational in so many ways. Um, I guess that's all I really have for now. Do you have anything else you would like to share with the church besides that we miss you guys? No, we miss you guys too. Um, we just want to say thank you for your unconditional support and just always reminding us that we have such a, a big and supportive community that side of the world. Um, and we are hoping to see you soon. Yay! I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Uh, thank Bye. you so much. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> just like slowly cut yeah, that's great uh, let's just take a moment and let's pray uh, for Darren and Lindsay in the flu house Father Lord we just lift them up to you pray that you would just continue your work in Darren and Lindsay form them into the type of people Lord who make a difference in their community make a difference in the kids lives I pray that the kids would see Jesus in them pray that their community would see Jesus in them and Lord that the kids under their care would, would grow in their knowledge and understanding of you, draw closer to you in relationship with you. And Lord, they would be a light in that community for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, yeah. We are, oops, <laughs> jumped ahead. Ah. Our new campaign we started a few weeks ago is called Reconstruct. And the Reconstruct idea is about identifying and the aspects of our faith that are more cultural than Christian. Um, aspects of our faith that as we have constructed a faith, we all have, we've constructed a faith either uh, through your upbringing in a particular church um, or perhaps you ex believed in Jesus later on in life, whatever kind of church you were in or people that were influential in your life, community you had around you. Um, you constructed a concept of what it means to be a Christian and to be a follower of Jesus. We've all done that. Oftentimes what happens, and we all do this too because we all exist in a culture, uh, is the culture that we have accepted Christ in and believed in him, a lot of those ideas begin to filter into our Christian faith. And so those influence, they affect how we view Christianity, how we view Jesus, what it means to follow him. And what we're doing in this campaign is we're attempting to kind of deconstruct or kind of take, uh, however, whatever word picture you want to use, if they're all like intertwined together, uh, like clothing, we're attempting to pull on some threads that are more cultural than Christian. 
and some of these ways that have hindered us from seeing the truth of Jesus and seeing him more purely for who he really is. Uh, the first week, remember, we said that the goal is to know Jesus and to know him more and to love Christ. So if that's our goal, then this process should just refine our picture. So it's like a picture that's out of focus, right? And then when you focus it, it becomes clear. That's uh, what we should be attempting to do is as we untangle some of these cultural Christianity ideas that we've developed, um, as we untangle those, our picture of Jesus just gets more clear. And so we can worship him more. Our primary text that we're going to keep referencing is Philippians 3 and the Apostle Paul. His story illustrates this perfectly. He says he considers everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. That summarizes it so well. So all of the other cultural Christian ideas that we have, we can consider those as loss. So that's okay. We can let those go compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Because if we have a clearer, better picture of Jesus and we know him more, it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. So that's the goal. So today, uh, well, last week we talked about proposition for person and uh, talking through these like strong statements that we all want to make. We're so certain about everything. And the idea being that we need to seek truth humbly in Scripture and hold truth humbly um, when we do know it. It's a very difficult thing to do, but so important. Today, we're talking about freedom. I already put that up on the screen, so you probably knew that already. We're talking about freedom. This is one of these cultural values that we all hold dear. And before I even get into this, before we get into our biblical concept of freedom, Quick disclaimer, like, I like freedom. Freedom is good. Uh, Socio-political freedom, huge fan. We need it, it's fantastic. It's, it's gr a great thing, it is a good thing. And the fact that you like never hear somebody say that, and you're like, this is weird, why is he saying that? Just speaks a lot to our cultural value of this, that it's just assumed that everybody you run into, like, they value freedom. They think it's a really good thing. And that just says a lot that, hey, we, this is a cultural value that we have and is very, very deeply ingrained in us. So, disclaimer, I'm a huge, it's a good thing. Sociopolitical freedom, fantastic. What I'm concerned about, however, and how the cultural view, how this cultural view seeps into our Christianity. Um, into our Christian concept of freedom. I, I could talk about it more, but I think this example uh, lays it out perfectly. In his book, After Doubt, A.J. Swoboda, he recounts the story of a British evangelist named John Guest. And as is most common, uh, our blind spots are really hard for us to see when we exist in this culture. Blind spots are blind to us by definition, right? So oftentimes it requires somebody from another culture, another part of the world, uh, looking from the outside at our culture to identify the blind spots that we have. And uh, this guy, John Guest, he was a British evangelist in the 1960s. And he's, he comes over to the U.S. to give a series of sermons and talks, uh, an evangelistic outreach, and he's outside of Philadelphia. He comes across a number of signs in a shop that commemorate the American Revolution. And one of the signs he reads, it says, we serve no sovereign here. Okay, obviously the implication is 
King George, uh, the American Revolutionary War, uh, that we, we don't serve uh, the British sovereign, the British king anymore. Um, again, this was the 1960s, so long time after the American Revolution. This is still up in, this, in the window. And, I mean, maybe, maybe he was salty because they lost the war and he's British. You can be the determiner of that, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but when he saw that, he wrote, uh, how can I possibly preach the kingdom of God? Kingdom of God being God is sovereign over his kingdom, that God is the king. He is the Lord of all creation. He's like, how can I preach the kingdom of God to people who have a profound aversion to sovereignty? So what I'm inviting you to do, I'm asking you to do, is just reflect on this concept of freedom and how our concept of freedom has perhaps influenced our Christian faith to the point that we struggle to view God as sovereign, to view God as our king. And if we have this mentality of, uh, again, our, our national heritage is built on rebellion and revolution, right? And if that is our underlying value and principle that we operate off of, how does that influence your perspective of God being sovereign and our service to God? So just think about it. Spend some time reflecting on it, processing this, because this is a deeply ingrained value in our culture that for us to understand what scripture has to say about this, we must think about it and we must apply it to our current situation and our thinking. So when we read in the word for free in scripture, uh, we tend to be thinking sociopolitical freedom, right? And that uh, really isn't what it's saying at all. But it's encouraging to note that we aren't the only ones <laughs> that made this mistake and that struggle to untangle our sociopolitical concept of freedom from our spiritual concept of freedom, uh, our faith, our, our sociopolitical freedom kind of, it blends in, it merges with our Christian faith concept of freedom. They did the same thing in the first century. And Jesus in this conversation with a group of Jews, note in verse 31, who believed in him. So the, these aren't the Pharisees who were antagonistic to everything Jesus did. This is a group of, of Jews who believed in Jesus, that he was the Messiah. They wanted to follow him and learn from him. So these guys are very sympathetic to Jesus' cause and his teaching. And that's who Jesus is speaking to here. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Okay, so if you're a highlighting person in your Bible, highlight that. That's the, that's the main idea of this section, of what Jesus is attempting to communicate to them. And everything else kind of flows from this statement. If you hold to my teaching, meaning if you obey the truth of what he's teaching, if you think that what Jesus teaches is true about reality, the way the world works, all that, if you hold to that and think that that is true, and his teaching on morality and ethics and what is right and what is wrong, what is the best way to live your life as a human being, if you hold to those, you're his disciples. On the face of it, Captain Obvious, right? Like that's what it means to be a disciple, is that you think what the teacher teaches is true. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that implies you think that he teaches the truth, okay? And that he lives in the best way that we should also live. Jesus says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, 
he brings up the word freedom and that sparks like us today that sparks a discussion to put it lightly it turns into a heated argument pretty quickly they answered him we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone okay so by claiming to be Abraham's descendants that's their national identity wrapped up in this okay this is we're Abraham's descendants we are the people of God and the people of Israel we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of everyone of anyone so they're talking about their individual context currently I think they're kind of arguing semantics because Rome is the occupying force in Israel in the first century here. So Rome essentially could enslave them at any time, but besides the point, right? Technically not slaves, cool. But in your history, you have been in Egypt and uh, when Assyria took them over and Babylon took them over. So whatever they're talking about, they're kind of parsing hairs. How can you say that we shall be set free? Okay, so they're thinking socio-political freedom. They're thinking, we're not slaves of anyone. We're descendants of Abraham, our national identity. That's where they go when Jesus says free. Like, what are you talking about? You can set us free through the truth, huh? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus is like, not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Get that socio-political stuff that has influenced your concept of what it means to be a uh, a follower of Yahweh in this context, get that out of your head. Not what I'm talking about. He's talking about slavery to sin. And they have a very hard time getting past this because the rest of the conversation gets really ugly and they just keep pointing to, we're Abraham's descendants. We're children of Abraham. That's, yeah. Basically us saying America, right? Like constantly over and over again. They can't get it out of their heads. So what Jesus says here, he, he's point, he does this all throughout his ministry where he's saying, guys, like your first referent is sociopolitical freedom. Look at your inner life. Jesus is more concerned about their heart, about their inner life, about how they can love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. He, he keeps pointing them to that. He's like, this is what is of substance and merit. This is what you need to get. So he points them to, you're actually a slave to sin because you've sinned. Caesar, in this context, he's a slave because he's a slave to sin. The most powerful person on the planet is a slave to their sin. Now we're a slave to sin in two different ways. In our nature, that we all have this sinful nature that if you honestly reflect on why you do the things that you do, and you ponder it deeply, you often come to some ugly stuff in your own heart. And we all have this. It is a condition of being human, right? And also, we've also all experienced how if we continue sinning time and time again, we find ourselves unable to quit. And then that sin begins to control us and own us, like an addiction, where at some point, you reach a point where you want to quit, and you can't and it kind of controls you, and you're a slave to that sin. So those two senses are how we're slaves to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So Jesus is here talking about himself. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what's the freedom Jesus is talking about here? Is it sociopolitical freedom, or is it spiritual? 
right? He's not talking about your socio-political freedom. Because the common idea of the day in the first century was that the Messiah, whoever the Messiah was, they weren't sure yet, when the Messiah came that he would liberate them in the socio-political sense, he would set them free from whatever oppressive force or government was over them. And in this case, in this time, it was Rome. So they thought that if Jesus was the Messiah, that he would raise an army, defeat Rome, kick them out, and establish the kingdom of Israel again, just like it was under Saul, David, and Solomon. They'd be independent to, to rule and do whatever they want, the, the glory days of Israel. And, and Jesus constantly calls them back to, no, 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 that's not, that's not why I came. <laughs> it's what he keeps saying. He, he's after a deeper level of our slavery and freedom dynamic. That this condition of our heart and the sinful nature that we have, that's what he came to set us free from. And we'll be free indeed through him if we hold to his teachings. We'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. And honestly, I think it's, I think, when I think of the church landscape today, I, I think it's probably the same, sadly. Like in many evangelical churches, churches like ours, if Jesus came today and had this same message of, no, I'm not President Messiah to restore America to Christian values, people would be like disappointed in a lot of churches. They'd be like, ah, we're not as interested in you now because that's what we want. <laughs> like, we want a Messiah to go and to establish a, a new Christian nation in America. I think we'd be pretty uncomfortable with Jesus constantly pointing us to this inner life transformation instead of this external socio-political transformation that we all want. Both sides of the aisle, right and left, want that. But Jesus has none of it and he constantly points them to, this is what you really need, is this inner life transformation, freedom from your slavery to sin. As the story goes on, it gets uglier and uglier. And eventually, uh, they keep claiming to be children of Abraham and children of God. And Jesus says, you're actually children of the devil, which not surprisingly, they don't respond well to. Um, and they, in a kind of British snarky way, ask, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? And then Jesus claims to be God and they try to stone him. So it, it gets pretty ugly pretty quick. And remember, this started off as people who believed in him. But this concept of freedom that they couldn't wrap their heads around, moving from the socio-political to the spiritual, caused them to want to kill the true Messiah. God in flesh standing right in front of them. So this is really important for us to untangle this from our Christian faith because we can very easily miss Jesus through authentic Messiah if we don't. <clears throat> so that's what I've been saying. We need to untangle... Uh, the cultural Christian view of socio-political freedom uh, and substitute that for spiritual freedom when we read scripture. Don't read scripture, and when you read freedom in scripture, don't read into that just socio-political freedom. Sometimes the context dictates that. Most of the time, scripture is talking about our spiritual freedom. <laughs> so when Jesus says, he uh, whom the Son sets free will be free indeed, 
not talking about freedom from our tyrannical governor, okay? I'm not talking about that. I've seen Facebook posts, all right? Not from any of you, I don't think, so. <laughs> but they're out there. Not what he's talking about. <clears throat> I listened to John Mark Homer this week in a podcast for his new book, and he, he talks about this concept, which I think is so brilliant and it's so helpful for us to think through. We need to move from freedom from what we are, <laughs> which I don't know about you, but every time I say freedom from, I think of freedom fries. Anybody else? Did you hear freedom fries when I said that? Back when, as Americans, we were mad at the French, and so we changed the name to freedom fries, and it didn't stick. I really wish it would have stuck, because that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> can we bring that back? Let's bring that back. Huh? Are we mad at the French again? They're mad at us. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So John Mark Homer, he creates this paradigm, freedom from for freedom to. And in Jesus' words from John 8, what we are free from is our sin in Christ, right? But now what are we free to then do? It's not enough for us to just say, okay, we're free from everything. Shackles are all off. We're free to be totally self-determined and do whatever we want create our own truth, create our own morality, I'm free, woo! And then you run and do whatever through a tall grass in a meadow. I don't know. That's the picture I get in my head. What, you're like, what is wrong with your head? <laughs> That's not enough. When we read scripture, we have to also think, now what are we free to do? What do we do with this freedom that we now have in Christ? And scripture says a lot about it. Because this free from all shackles position that we find our, that we want to be in is not biblical, it's not scriptural, it's not what the Bible wants us to, to think is true and what's best for us, and it just doesn't work. Anyways, so Tim Keller has this quote that I think is so perfect, and, and this fits, oh, if you're like a note taker, write this down, this is unbelievable, it's in the devotional too this week. It says, freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints, which we tend to think of, is what's best for us, free from all limitations and all constraints. How many movies are out there about just being free from everything? But it is finding the right ones. We must find the right constraints, the right limitations that fit our nature, that coincide with who we are and who we are created to be, and liberate us. And when we find these constraints, that they're actually liberating. When we live within the proper constraints. So what are those proper constraints. What are we driving towards? What, is, what are we free to do now that Christ has set us free from our sin and the consequences of sin and from the law? What are we free to now do? Scripture says a lot about that. Romans 6, 18 to 19, the Apostle Paul in this just wonderful theological work of Romans, he's writing to the church of Romans and, and he says, okay, basically now that we're free from the law, we're free from sin, what, should we go on sinning more so that grace may abound more? No, absolutely not. That's not the way to go. Instead, he says, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So now what are we free from is our sin and what are we free to is righteousness. So now you're free to actually be righteous. That, that sinful condition Jesus has done away with in part to you so that you are now free to actually serve God in righteousness and holiness. 
I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. He's using the slavery freedom dynamic because to help us get it. It was a very common occurrence in that culture that they would have seen more. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. In Paul's view, those are your options. <laughs> There's not a third option. There's not this self-determined, totally free option for you to determine your own truth and your own holiness and righteousness and to live your truth apart from God. That condition that I just described is actually, in truth, slavery to your own sin. You're just right back there. First Peter. Peter gets in on the game. He talks about it, too. So we've had Jesus, Paul, and now Peter. And we're going to go back to Paul in a minute. Live as free people. And my question when I read it was, what, is he what kind of freedom is he talking about there? Just a couple verses earlier, he talked about submitting ourselves to all the governing authorities, human institutions, governors, the emperor. In this case, it was, it was uh, uh, Nero, who in a few years was going to light Christians on fire in the streets and blame them for the fire of Rome and feed them to lions. Uh, he still says, submit yourselves to governing authorities and human institutions. Now he says, live as free people. So he might be talking about socio-political freedom. Uh, that's in the context there. Um, but the next clause, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Seems like he's talking about freedom from sin again, or freedom from the law. Maybe it's all of them. Probably freedom from sin because of what he says here. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Just on the nose, right? That, that, should, that should hit you pretty hard when, he's, when you read that. Live as God's slaves. And in a culture where we value freedom so much, that hits hard. And it should. Peter says it plainly, we need to live as God's slaves. So we use our freedom to serve God. And what does the word serve mean? Give yourself as a slave to God is what it means. <clears throat> Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Band, you guys can come and get set up. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Here he's talking about freedom from the law. So you're no longer under the Old Testament law of Moses. So you're free from that. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That means just sin and do whatever you want, whenever you want. That, that is not what Christ has set you free for and free to. Rather, serve one another. There's our word, serve. It's the same root word as slave used in 1 Peter. Okay, it's the verbal form, the same word. Serve one another humbly in love. So Peter has told us we need to use our freedom, this freedom that we have. Okay, so in this paradigm, we're free from sin and the law, consequences of sin being death. We're free from all of that. But what are we free to do is now to serve God and to serve others. There is no concept in the biblical framework where we are free to be totally self-determined and do whatever we want. Doesn't exist. When we are free, what we are free from, the sin and the law, is now we are free to serve God and to serve and love others. We need to mature our faith 
and move beyond just, I'm free, I'm free from this, I'm free from that. What are you free to do now, spiritually? You are free to serve God, to give yourself as a servant to God and to one another. When I come back up, I'll kind of unpack that a little bit more, but let's pray. Lord, God, would your spirit move in us to help us see See the aspects of our concept of freedom that are more from our culture than from your word. Lord, help us to, when we ponder, when we reflect on our spiritual freedom, to not miss what your word says, that we need to give ourselves to God and give ourselves to one another. Because Jesus, you know the best way to live and obedience to you is what it means to be your disciple. So Lord, inspire us by your spirit to know your truth and to be set free by your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together. If you guys need prayer while we're singing, there's prayer available in the back. Michael and Kathleen would love to pray with you. Nobody needs to 
the battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise, and the glory is yours, glory is yours. Oh God, the glory is yours, the kingdom is come, and the battle is over. Jesus, in your name we rise, and the glory is yours, glory is yours. Oh God, the glory is yours, the kingdom is come, and the battle is over. Jesus, in your name.
Let's gonna have a seat for a few moments. Quick side note, I mentioned earlier that when we read in scripture, most of what Jesus is driving at isn't this concept of sociopolitical freedom, but it's more freedom from sin and this inner life that Jesus is driving to. It doesn't mean that what Jesus had to say in his teaching doesn't have any sociopolitical implications. But the primary driver of that is change people. Change people's inner lives have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to change communities and begin to change their state, their city, their local government, everything. Everything begins to change. That's the model of what Jesus called us to. So it certainly has socio-political implications, but it starts with but it starts with our individual heart and inner life. Our big idea is that we are free to serve God and to serve others. So we wanna focus on what we're free to do, not just what we're free from, but what we're free to do. And we are free to, as Peter says, uh, become slaves of God. Paul says, become slaves of righteousness. This concept, at least in, at least in my experience, in my what, almost eight years being a pastor, is a much bigger struggle for men than for women. It's my experience. It's not universal. Ladies, you struggle with this too, so this isn't an excuse to just turn, tune me out now. Giving yourself in service to God is really difficult. It challenges our concept of freedom, our independent nature that wants to be totally self-determined. 
as Keller says in this quote, which is so good. Serving God, giving yourself in service to him is a constraint that fits our nature. Because that's what we were created for. You weren't created to be completely independent and self-determined. You're created by God to serve him. What that means very simply is that we are not free to determine your own truth, to live your own truth. If you want to test my sanctification and what I talked about yesterday, my humble truth seeking, just tell me you're living your own truth and you will see me and then hopefully, by the grace of God, respond kindly. <laughs> because as, as Christians, we are not free to determine our own truth. We're not free to determine our own morality, what is right and wrong. We're not free to just do whatever we want and live our own way. If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, you obey the teaching of Jesus. That's all there is, that's, that's what a disciple means. So there is no version of Christian discipleship in which you are not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Doesn't happen, doesn't exist. That's what Lord means. When we say Jesus is our King, that means we have submitted to him. There is this, this deception of our own making in the church, especially in the modern Western world, that says that you can be a disciple of Jesus without surrendering to him. It's a lie. It's not true. It's, if you say this prayer and you are free from then all the bad stuff, but what are you free to? We must mature in our discipleship too, being free to give ourselves in service to God. That's what a disciple truly is. And that is where it begins. So we must serve God and commit to following his truth and his way and knowing that if Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, that's what he's saying is that it's all in him, that the way to God is through Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Therefore, what he teaches in obeying him, we find truth. That he has the life of God in himself that we don't possess without him. So it's all about Jesus and his lordship and following him. And then secondly, we're, we're called to use our freedom to give ourselves in service to others. This last year, it has become so clear that this is a big struggle in the church. Our concept of individual freedom that is more American than Christian has been on full display. That if our individual freedoms conflict with the individual freedoms of another, we as Christians are supposed to serve and give them up for the benefit of another. Philippians 2 says this, that we're supposed to model Jesus and do that for them. And yet this individualized, hyper-individualized concept of freedom in our culture has destroyed communities, destroyed churches, because we've been unwilling to give up the exercise of our individual freedoms for the benefit of others. 
that is our American concept of freedom creeping in to our Christian concept of freedom. Because everywhere in scripture, the Bible calls us to serve others, to give of ourselves for the community, for the church. This is what we mean when we say we, we wanna to belong together this year and our, our vision is belonging together. And in a lot of ways, guys, this, this uh, cultural concept creeping into the church and influencing our thinking on this is our own fault as the church and leaders of the church and faulting myself in this. For so long, we've had this concept of like, oh, if you're a visitor, like come on in and like, church is all about you. Like, you can like pick and choose what you like about this church or that church and create this perfectly curated church experience that fits you and your lifestyle. And that is of our own making as the church. If you're a visitor, we love you. Welcome, welcome here. But like, here's what it means to be a part of this community. And, and it, unless I've missed it completely, I think you want this. It, it's, it's challenging, it's difficult, but it's real. It's real authentic community. You only get that by giving yourself in service to others, by, by coming into a church and thinking, how can I serve one another? How can I serve these people? How can I use the gifts that God has given me to love them and to benefit them? Instead of coming into church and thinking, like, what does this church have to offer me? See, there's a big difference. Too long churches have operated on the 80-20 rule where 20% of the people do 80% of the work or more. One, it's not right, according to scripture. It's not true. It's not the way that it should be. And two, it's not sustainable. We can't do this. We can't keep that up. You burn the 20% out really quickly. Like that's why we're, we're trying to make like tangible, real changes. It's what Serve Sunday is all about. That's what we, why we do a parent co-op, where the idea is if you drop your kids off into the kids' ministry, you're gonna help, that you help watch kids too. Because that's what the church is supposed to be, serving one another. And we don't wanna build this culture that just says it's all about the individual, to come and consume however much you can. I don't think that's, I don't think that's good for you, <laughs> for us to build that kind of culture that says this is okay. Because it feeds into our American concept of consumerism and freedom. That just is not what scripture calls us to. So, bright side is, when we do give ourselves in service to God and in service to others, we find freedom. <laughs> it is so paradoxical. It's liberating. It's, it's so crazy the way that it works. And I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't experienced it. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't talked to hundreds of other Christians who have found the same thing to be true. That is, a, it's a scary leap. I get it. Giving yourself to God and to others in a lot of love for him and love for them. Which, by the way, this is what we spent the entire summer talking about. Um, <laughs> greatest two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's no surprise we find it here again, right? 
So it's scary. I get it. But talk to anybody who has tried it, and they'll give you their testimony and story that they find it's liberating because it fits their nature. And we find freedom in it, in Christ. It's crazy, but it's 100% true. So I'm going to give you a moment. Everybody, just, let's bow our heads and just pray. If you've never committed to the lordship of Jesus in your life, I'm going to give you a moment to do that. Just surrender everything in your life to him. If you have done that, just reaffirm what that means. You've surrendered all of your life, your relationships, your finances, your passions, your desires, your wants, your needs, your goals, your career, all of it. Surrender to God. next, just confess to him that you don't always know what is true, that you don't always know what the best way to live is. And so you're going to commit to seek truth, seek his way through scripture, through the life of Christ. Finally, just reaffirm your commitment to the community of believers to serve one another, to be willing to go out of your way to meet their needs, to reduce your freedom for the benefit of others. join us. Let's stand. Let's sing one more song together. And again, while we're singing or after service, if you need prayer, Michael and Kathleen are back there. They would love to pray with you.